Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive or if you think like one and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of Xquadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve even more extraordinary results. Because no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. When Scott White created his business, Pragmatic Semiconductor, he didn't necessarily start it with a deep sense of mission. He started it because he saw a promising technology. In this episode, we understand the journey that he went on. The fact that he started, had a false start, realised the technology he'd chosen wouldn't work. And then he committed to building what was needed. And as he did that, he discovered that mission isn't always hardwired at the foundation of a business. It actually emerges often on the journey. And now we find out where he's got to, what the deep sense of purpose is, and how he's used purpose, in fact, as an opportunity filter to identify the most important areas for the business to pursue. This is a really fascinating conversation with Scott White of Pragmatic Semiconductor. Hi, Scott, and welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Very good to be here. So I'm interested in this. Uh, You are the CEO of Pragmatic which is a really fascinating company working on deep tech, right? I mean, really breakthrough things. So before we jump into your sense of mission and purpose and and what makes you tick and so forth, just tell me a little bit, what's the company all about? Sure. So at Pragmatic, we make flexible semiconductor devices. So semiconductors is one of these interesting areas where probably a few years ago, people not in the tech area might never have heard of them. But uh, it's obviously you know, been in the news quite a lot recently because semiconductor devices are critical in just about every product we, we own today that has any kind of functionality. So everything from your car to your dishwasher to, of course, your, you know, your laptop and your mobile phone and electronic devices you carry. So these are primarily in the form of silicon chips that were invented about 50 years ago, and they basically form the brain of all electronic devices. And at Pragmatic, what we developed is a flexible non-silicon equivalent to that. So we make wafers of integrated circuits or chips, which look like this. And as you can see, they're extremely thin and flexible, that so, sheet or wafer. So let me interrupt. Just for anyone just listening on the podcast, it, it just looks like a piece of, I don't know, cellophane, right? I mean, it's extremely, it's, it's, it's absolutely fine. It, it, Exactly. So it, it, it's... Um, it, it does essentially just look like a, a thin sheet of plastic. And actually most of what it is, is just the the plastic substrate that holds it together. That sheet or wafer, as they're called in the industry, is comprised of anywhere from you know several hundred to several thousand individual chips. Mm. So they get chopped up into the individual chips, which then get applied into the product. But the big difference with our technology is that that unique, extremely thin, flexible form factor compared to a rigid silicon chip and the fact that we can make them for an order of magnitude lower cost. And what that means is we can put electronic intelligence into things that you wouldn't normally consider it being viable in. So this is not about replacing the silicon chip in your laptop and your mobile phone. It's more about how do you embed electronics into the things we interact with every day. So one of the- What kind of things? What kind of things would that be? 
So one of the biggest um, examples is in packaging for fast moving consumer goods. So if you think about everything you buy in the supermarket every day, it's in some sort of packaging because that's needed to ship it around the world and to protect the contents um, that packaging, you know, generally is fairly dumb. It, it doesn't do anything interesting. And of course, it it ends up being waste at the end of the process. Um, what uh, companies are doing with our technology is embedding it in the packaging to create a unique identifier that can be tracked automatically through the entire product lifecycle. That has huge benefits in terms of being able to uh, manage the inventory as it goes through the distribution chain, reduce waste, improve efficiency, uh, avoid anti-counterfeits, get proof of provenance, things like that. And the, actually, most interestingly, the one we're seeing is that at the end of the, the life of that packaging, being able to ensure it gets recycled or indeed to enable reusable packaging models um, that provide a better sustainability for, for that kind of solution. Right. So, yes, this is fascinating stuff. You are... Uh, taking technology into new areas because you can yeah having a flexible approach you know a flexible um product allows you to put it in places which traditionally layered products couldn't reach so uh yeah fast fascinating um how did you get in i mean you say this is like a i guess a I guess it must have started off in, as a research project in some way. I mean, early stage. I mean, there's, there's, it's not a massive existing market that you just walked into and said, we'll do that too. You created this. So how did you get into the game? How to, into this game? Take us back to... Sure. So, so probably probably best to, to just take it back to a bit of personal history. So so my um, I'm originally a mathematician, computer scientist, um, but I've never actually worked as an as an engineer. I spent several years at McKinsey Management Consulting, eventually got bored with that because you never actually got to do anything. You just got to advise. But it was you know, obviously a great business experience learning how to how to deal with and, and help improve the problems of you know, some of the biggest companies in the world. But you know, when I decided to leave there, what really excited me was how do you take interesting technologies and commercialize them? So very long journey there, but um, I, I joined a telecoms research center where I spun out my first company. And since then, prior to Pragmatic, I've built and sold five previous technology businesses. With Pragmatic, the way I got involved in, in this area was um, I got, when I'd sold one of my previous businesses, I was recruited into a spin out from the University of Manchester that had some very interesting technology, as you said, kind of come out of the research environment. And it was a, a novel electronic device architecture that was particularly suited to being made in, in thin film materials. As it turns out, that particular technology didn't really have the right manufacturability and repeatability to scale. But what it did prompt was a set of very interesting discussions with potential customers around what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And on the back of that, um, myself and Richard Price, CTO, formed Pragmatic with a view to develop the right technology platform to address that application. So this was 12 years ago, um, started essentially with a concept and a little bit of sort of core IP that we'd acquired out of that Manchester spin-out. But 99% of what we do is is technology that we've developed in-house to address this specific objective of how you make thin, flexible, and extremely low-cost integrated circuits. Got it. So this was a... Typical example of the journey not quite being what you expect. You start off with a, a technology that you think you can go with. You realize you, that's not going to get you where you want to be. But in the meantime, you've had 
conversations you've seen there the need you've seen there is an opportunity you can see there's value there that can be created and that actually prompted you to say well let's roll up our sleeves and and build the right thing for that need that's right and and in one sense it 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 kind of highlights the the generic difference in approach that you tend to see between the uk and say the us so in the uk the most common thing is to find a technology that's being developed and spun out of academia that then you try and commercialize and find an application to drive into Um, in the us the model is much more around starting with a business problem and figuring out how do you invent the right technology to solve it that it's obviously not completely black and white like that but there is there is a a broad distinction there And, and my first my first tech business I founded in Australia, but then we got funding in Silicon Valley. So sort of my my formative learning around how you grow a technology business was all in in Silicon Valley. And that really kind of led to you know, a lot of the the drivers first. How did we how did we develop this with pragmatic? Is that yeah, we had a technology that was kind of interesting. It would have been nice if that had fit, but actually the fact that the technology doesn't do what you need to isn't really a barrier to going and doing something interesting when you've identified a a unique market opportunity that no one else is really addressing well. Yeah, got it. So, so let's play with you a bit. We, we yeah, this season is called Mission Driven CEOs, and what I've heard right now is a very as it's the name of your company, it's very pragmatic, right? You know, you <laughs> um, you spotted, uh, you know, you had come across technology, thought, oh, you know, I can make a quick buck on this one. Um, didn't quite work out, but you've done it. I'm joking a bit, but it was it obviously came through perhaps some random discussions. You know, you you encountered this technology, you thought oh, I could build a business on this, um, and now here we're on the show talking about mission. Sure. So, what's the journey from that kind of entrepreneurial start to you know where are you now in terms of what your what you know why you do this right? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yes, it's a, it's a very interesting question, and, and and you mentioned also at the start, I think the word deep tech, um, and I think that to me is sort of one of the interesting differences that has led to us becoming more more mission driven. So, my previous companies I would classify as technology companies, but not deep tech companies. And the way I distinguish the two is with me- most technology companies, they are using technology to achieve a particular goal, but they aren't actually inventing new technology. Um, you know, Apple is a classic example, absolutely fantastic company, but intentionally, they generally are not at the forefront of technology. They take existing technology, they package it into a product that is, you know, better thought out and has a better ecosystem around it than, than many others. And, and that's why they're so successful. So there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just a very different beast from a, a deep tech business where your fundamental uh, differentiation is you've, you've invented a new technology. And so if I apply that to what we're doing at Pragmatic, you know, we, as we just described, started with this business business problem that we identified that we had a number of customers who told them to us said, we need the equivalent of silicon chip that is thin, flexible and much lower cost. We set out to develop the technology to achieve that. And having done that, what we discovered was we had invented a fundamentally new approach to semiconductor manufacturing, and that had opportunities that were far broader than our original market objectives. And so about five or six years ago, as a management team, we went through a process of thinking through that, thinking through the the range of different things we could do with the technology and with the business, and relating that to what actually drove us individually you know what was what was our biggest motivation for why we came to work every day and worked the long hours trying to do this 
And, you know, it wasn't actually about making money. You know, yes, everybody wants to make money at the end of the day, but the thing that actually motivates you on a daily basis often is something different. And for us, it was the fact that we're starting to see really exciting opportunities for our technology in areas that were not just marketing gimmicks or, you know, a widget that somebody could use, but things that could fundamentally change the way the way we interact with things in the world and that could uh, potentially address some of the biggest problems that as a society and as a um, you know global community we face uh, i mentioned earlier you know the the opportunities for our technology in uh, improving end of use outcomes for for packaging and improving recycling and use models so that was one of the things that that we were starting to see that the 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 way people were using our technology in consumer goods packaging was moving from you know marketing driven interactivity with consumers just to promote a brand towards something that was much more around actually how do how do we achieve all these great you know circular economy ambitions that you know brands have realized are essential in the longer term you know can can we leverage the technology to create the right solutions that actually make that viable um, so you know those those kinds of applications healthcare was another big area we'd seen opportunities for our technology in and and it wasn't necessarily the the early commercial drivers for use because it tends to require somewhat more complicated solutions adoption cycle times are much longer in those kinds of industries than in something like you know consumer goods but you know what we wanted to do was drive the company towards those kinds of applications where we're saying actually these are things that you know, when we look back on this in 10 years time, not only do we want to have built a you know, profitable multi-billion dollar business, but we want to say, actually, you know, we've we've improved people's lives by the way our technology is being used. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that that was kind of a transition, I guess, for us. Uh, I wouldn't I don't think we would have described it at the time as becoming mission driven. But, you know, if, if we think about sort of what people mean by that now, um that was essentially a you know the, the process we went through was how do we change this from being a a company that's purely driven around developing interesting technology to address a specific market opportunity to how do we take a much broader view on developing a a technology platform in a way that has environmental and societal benefit mm. yeah it's fascinating i think it's it's always really fascinating when you start to ask people what really excites me about this business? Yeah, and there's, you know, there's the, like you said, there's obviously there's always, well, hey, there's a nice financial opportunity here and, you know, finance is the fuel. Uh, you need money to do all these things. Um, but then when you get past that, yeah, you get into what really, yeah, what's, what are we really going to be proud to tell our grandchildren and all these kind of things? And uh, yeah, I can, I can imagine, you know, those things don't necessarily, have the impact overnight because you have that discussion and you walk out the meeting and things haven't yet changed, but the way you think about things starts to starts to shift. It, it starts to shift, and, and yeah, there's there's always a balancing act between, as you mentioned, that you know not just individually the the drive to make money, but also as a company, you have to you have to show a path to profitability in order for everything else you might want to achieve with the business to be successful. Um, and it's interesting. I was reading um, over Christmas um, a book called Let My People Go Surfing, which is by Yves Chouinard, the, the founder of Patagonia, the clothing brand. And, you know, the Patagonia is very much a mission-driven organization, very passionate about environmental and social issues. 
and you know never actually you know when they started the business it was never intended to make money it was just to basically you know pay their way so that they could go surfing when they wanted right. to or go climbing and so it's sort of interesting really how that's developed and and he was drawing out this exact point we've been talking about that the you know the way you square the circle around having a profit oriented company that also is addressing you know strong environmental and social agenda is the profitability actually is the enabler to make that happen you know for the business to to be around and succeed and therefore you know longer term develop the aspiration it has to you know to make the world a better place mm-hmm. the starting point is it has to be a sustainable profitable business in and of its own right yeah. that works for the shareholders it works for the employees and you know everybody that's got stock options in the business so you know everybody can can financially make money out of that at the same time as driving towards this this mm-hmm. broader agenda and i think a lot of the um, venture investment community have actually also had that realization in the last decade you know we, yeah. um, there were a few esg oriented funds that that started up you know probably 10 10 years or so ago but it's now become pretty much you know mantra you know that everybody understands that actually you can you can actually tie these two things together it's not that you have to be you know all pure and focused on social good and not make any money but actually if you have businesses that that are you know as a venture investor you are you know you are investing in that actually if they're driving towards a strong esg agenda that can actually enhance the returns of the venture investment as well so i guess the question i'd ask on that is do you get finding yourself in situations of conflict on that, right? So, um, because, yeah, definitely at its best, there is this self-reinforcing uh, loop, right, between the profit and the purpose. Uh, although, some, you know, when you get down to brass tacks, sometimes there are questions to be made about on this, at this particular moment, yeah. do we... Uh, you know, do we optimize for the profit or, you know, or do we take a slightly longer term view towards profit in service of the purpose? I'm just wondering, you know, what you, what your thought on that is. Yes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's conflict, but there is always a balancing act. And, you know, it, in my experience, most things in business are, are balancing different priorities. It doesn't mean that one excludes the other, but there's always prioritization and, you know, and how you, how you trade off different decisions at various times. So, you know, we have to, you know, because of where we are as a business, we're still in scale up mode. We're not yet profitable. That means, you know, the default situation is, you know, yes, you have to do the things that are are going to drive the business towards being a profitable, sustainable business in order to do everything else. But the, the broader longer term aspirations help focus you know, which areas, which areas we look at and also which we explicitly don't look at. And that's particularly relevant for a, a business like ours, where because we have a, a very unique technology that has so many applications, we have we have way too many things that we could do with yeah. the technology than we could ever possibly manage in terms of the bandwidth of the business. So, you know, when we look at where do we focus our efforts there is a threshold that you know they have to be opportunities that are going to be substantial scale opportunities that will generate significant revenue and be profitable for the business but actually that still leaves you know, a huge scope of things right. to play in and so within that broader range we can focus the business around the ones where we think it's it's driving towards 
um, the, the things that excite us personally. And, and again, I sort of come back to that one of the interesting things I found is that when we'd first started this transition, I might have anticipated that the conflict that could arise there is a difference between our objectives as the management um, of the business versus our non-management shareholders who are just in it for financial return. And actually what we've seen is actually there's a very strong alignment there because there is this recognition that actually if you're driving the business towards things that aren't just, aren't just gimmicks and, you know, kind of ways of making money, but actually have a, a fundamental purpose and are creating fundamental good, then everybody is sort of recognizing now that that, that generates better long-term returns. So our investors are equally excited by the same things we are, and you know, so that doesn't actually create a conflict. It's Richard here with just a quick interlude. If you're serious about multiplying your impact, I have a free resource that you won't want to miss. I've put together a short email course called Exponential Leadership Principles. In it, I set out how you can use the same strategies as some of the world's top leaders to get out of incremental progress and achieve breakthrough results. Be prepared to have your current thinking challenged and to learn some very new ways of leading. If you're interested in following along, simply sign up at xquadrant.com slash go slash exponential. Now back to the conversation. Yeah, so purpose is is that filter for for narrowing down the opportunities really yes um which i think is great because then once you've done that you're almost locked in by you know like you've chosen the areas where you can make money and make an impact and then that's great um so i know in some stages as you said you're still at an early stage in the business you're still scaling up um if we were to go forward five to ten years what would you love to see you know, what's your kind of vision for the impact that the business creates or you know, what, what are you trying to build long term? So within the next five years, or perhaps even if we more broadly extend that, we have, we have a we have a 10 year vision and that's probably the best scope within which to put it. So within the next 10 years, you know, we are intending to roll out at least 100 fabrication lines for our technology globally, producing at least a trillion uh, circuits that enable everyday items to to become smart and interact with people and with their environment so that is sort of the if you like the Mm. the kind of technical and tangible aspect of our vision so how that then relates to purpose is well what do those smart items actually do Mm. Um, and so within that what we have is a few core themes where we're focusing on things that you know the the real enablers of of what are driving our business from a from a financial and, and profit perspective but also from a, a purpose and an esg perspective and i've kind of alluded to these before but we have three specific um kind of themes we've had two and we sort of recently added added one more so one is um circular economy and sustainability and this is sort of, you know partially this was started by looking at the you know un sustainability objectives and saying well you know which of these do we actually have real leverage to be able to Im- impact and so you know circular economy and sustainability we have a very strong play in both from a an end user application perspective uh, as i described before you know how do you ensure 
traceability of items throughout their entire life cycle and particularly as they go towards end of life and use that um, embedded technology and intelligence to be able to reduce waste and improve circularity within the economy. What we've also interestingly discovered is that all of the decisions we made from a technical perspective to move to these thin, flexible uh, materials and uh, allow a low-cost process also translate into having a manufacturing process that is dramatically lower environmental footprint than conventional silicon chip manufacturing. Right. So about a thousand times lower carbon footprint. Uh, and so you know, what we have is this, this really nice combination that not only the end applications enabling a, a more sustainable world, but actually the way we're manufacturing the product also drives very clearly towards that sort of net zero and you know, better environmental agenda. Mm. So that's one key theme. The second key theme is around healthcare. And the way we frame that is around um, ubiquitous access to healthcare. So we obviously have huge amounts of technology focused on how do we improve healthcare um, for people, but a lot of that ends up being very expensive. Mm. And so, you know, then immediately leads to challenges around, well, how do you fund that? Um, how do you make sure you have fair, fair access to it? Um, you know, how do you make sure organizations like the NHS that are already stretched, you know, it doesn't just add more cost into their budget, things like right. that. And so again, because of the inherent uniqueness of our technology and its, you know, low cost right, perspective, you know, that has really interesting applications in, in how we apply it into medical environments to, uh, again, traceability of consumable items within that and reducing waste and improving efficiency plays in but also specific you know product opportunities like wearable smart patches that could detect atrial fibrillation or could monitor wound healing automatically to avoid sepsis and things like that so there's there's a lot of conditions that our technology can be used because it can enable this thin flexible you know wearable form factor and do that at a cost point that is you know, dramatically lower. So, you know, this is this is moving towards things that you could go buy from your local chemist for, you know, a dollar rather than have to go to your GP and have a, you know, thousand dollar, you know, medication prescribed or, you know, you know, have to go into hospital and have, you know, huge amounts of expensive equipment to be able to do the same kind of diagnosis. So being able to push that and make it fair, being make it accessible to developing economies around the world, not just to the, you know, well-developed, you know, um, uh, economies yeah. that's that's sort of the second piece of it the third interesting piece that's sort of been added in the last year or two is around um security um in its sort of broader sense so you know we've always known there are some applications for our technology in security such as you know brand authentication and uh, anti-counterfeit but you can extend that also into national security. Think about some of the headlines people will have seen in the last few years around semiconductors and silicon chips being, you know, critical supply chain issues for making everything from cars to, you know, pretty much everything, you know, we we kind of want to go and buy that isn't just a consumable item. Um, Any industrial product includes silicon chips today and you know what's become apparent is that there's huge issues with the uh, you know geopolitics behind that and the concentration of supply and the ability to manage supply and demand imbalance over time mm. and our technology has some some really interesting characteristics because the cost of a 
a fabrication plant, a fab as they're called in our technology, is about 100 times lower than a silicon fab. Its mm. physical footprint is over 100 times smaller. This means you can put these you know, wherever you need them to be. You can mm. very much localize that manufacturing to allow... Um, you know, to allow the technology to be uh, in directly integrated into supply chains. And that has huge implications for, for national security, for example. So those three themes are, are sort of, you know, the, the core themes that we're focusing on that sort of cr- cut across the technology development and the specific commercial opportunities. Um, and so if I come back to that 10-year vision of rolling out these 100 fabs, you know, it's not just a hundred random fabs producing a trillion items for for gimmicks. This is about, you know, we want those to be distributed around the world, pushing the the manufacturing as close to our customers or to you know the key um, sort of you know national security um, objectives as you know as we can, and and addressing applications that are around improving mm. security in its broader sense um improving circular circularity in the economy and improving healthcare for you know the billions of people around the world so that's that's kind of you know what i would ideally like to be able to look back in 10 years time and say yes we've got this multi-billion dollar profitable business that's doing this making everybody lots of money but actually the way it's impacting people's lives is is actually the thing that is you know really transformational yeah, Scott, that's that's um, that's fantastic, and um, I say I love the um, the clarity with which you found these. I mean, these themes they all make sense. You know, you've explained them very articulately, and um, I think it's it's interesting. Where often there's many technology companies who, yeah, it can be sport for riches. We have this platform; it can be used for everybody. You know, <laughs> and yet actually getting that focus on those key themes. Um, uh, and and this has been a this has been a very much a journey for us. So I think as we've you know as we've developed the technology and the business over the last twelve years, not only has a lot of that been focused on the technology development and the you know the inventions and the translation into engineering and and industrialization, but there's been a sort of parallel journey around understanding the scope of the the use cases for the technology how that can translate into into what we're doing and getting this clarity so we definitely did not have that you know 12 years ago when we started the business and and actually even three or four years ago we had it as a as a sort of vague concept of oh we think we can do something that's really good with this not just make money out of it and you know it's, it's only as we've you know matured the business and got it into proper manufacturing uh, and scaled up the team that we've then sort of in a sense had the the bandwidth to be able to sort of really properly crystallize this properly focus our resource around it so one of the fairly transformational things i think we did a couple of years ago was we hired a a market development manager for circular economy we said mm-hmm. okay if this is an important theme this right. isn't just about having you know a sales team that are going and selling applications in that area and developing you know interesting technology demonstrators that show how it can be used but actually we need somebody who's entire role in the company is understanding this entire ecosystem and how we play into it in in the various different ways yeah um, i think i think your, your point around clarity is, is really important you know, often people want you know they search for i want clarity uh um and confidence um, to proceed but actually those are in the rear view mirror normally you only get yes. clarity <laughs> once you've been progressing you need commitment and courage to get going that's more more the point I, I think that's right. It's, you know, I mean, there has been a rise of, you know, what are, I guess more 
now conventionally called mission-driven organizations where from the start there is a very very clear mission but i still think that's the that's the exception rather than the rule most mostly the mission sort of comes after the fact when you say you know you discover what can be done with it and uh, and it's then having the you know the ability to recognize that and to you know to, to transform the organization is something that is is focusing clearly on that rather than it just being a you know, sure. it can't just be a sort of green greenwashing add-on that oh, you know, ESG is important to people, so we've got to we've yeah. got to find a flag yeah. we can wave. It you know, it's got to be driven by something internal of uh, actually, you know, this is what we want to do as an organisation. So let's shift gears a bit um, with a couple of quick fire questions. Uh, what's the favourite quote that you live by or you bore your team with? Um, I, I don't know that I'd have a single favourite quote. I think we have. Um, again one thing I've, I've never really done in previous companies is, is we've actually got a set of corporate values and so we actually explicitly refer back to them pragmatism is one of them not surprisingly given the name but you know enthusiasm aspiration mm. um things like that we you know we have them on coasters mm. <laughs> so i've got one here on my desk um and actually what i've found interesting is it's surprisingly frequently how we actually can use that as a means of helping us make decisions in the right way so we say, well, is this is this the the pragmatic decision we can make here, or you know, are we showing enough aspiration in in what we're doing here? Right. So I'd, I'd say that's probably more than specific quotes. If I was to pick one quote, just because it's top of mind that it's been um, important, some of the recent discussions and my CFO kind of mentioned to the other the other day is perfect is the enemy of good, mm. um, and you know that I think you know it kind of reflects the pragmatism bit. You know, this is right. this is not about you know, trying to do the best thing for the sake of a, a purity of doing the, you know, the best possible thing. It's about how do you do something that is fit for purpose for a, a given application and is, you know, good enough to do that. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to deliver the right functionality for what people want to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. What about a book? Do you have a favorite book that's influenced you or been important to you on your entrepreneurial journey? Um, again, I, I don't think there's one that I'd say has been, um, you know, kind of across everything um it, it changes as you know as the focus of business change so right I, now what was the right book right I, now i mentioned most recently you know um, let my people go surfing you know that is really relevant for some of the thinking we're doing at the moment of you know as we as we mature as a business you know how do we think even more about you know the sort of environmental and social agenda of, of what we're trying to do probably earlier yeah, it would have been the classic crossing the chasm and things like that, you know, the sort of fundamentals, you know, it hasn't gone out of date in terms of, you know, the importance of some of the concepts in there. And, you know, and I, the way my brain works, it, it, I, I, it's not good at remembering detail, but it's very good at synthesizing concepts. So, you know, often books I've read, I wouldn't be able to quote specific bits. I wouldn't be able to remember the the detailed methodologies that Jeffrey Moore came up with. Okay, yeah. But still, there's that sort of fundamental understanding of actually just because you've got some first customers doesn't mean you're in the mainstream. You know, these are, I think, important things for, for any entrepreneur to understand. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, yeah, my mind's like that as well. My, my son is an expert at all the remembering details, and that's not my strength. And... <laughs> um, Many of our best guests on the show, including yourself, come from referrals. Um, so I'm always curious, you know, who's somebody who inspires you? You know, who's an impactful CEO who you've come across um, that you might recommend as a, as a great guest for a future episode? And um, what do you admire about them? Uh, that's an interesting question. I'll, I'll probably have to get back to you with some suggestions. I, I don't tend to 
for the want of better want of a better term go into you know kind of hero worship or idolization you know kind of every, everybody's got pros and cons so i sure. i kind of very much like to look at um you know across across the schema and actually that you know the people that i, I really kind of am, am always interested in understanding is you know is you know people like you know steve jobs for example you know these these people that have been transformational in in a business and a sector and you know how how do they actually do that you know it's very hard to pin down specific business decisions or things like that so sure. to me it's it's about the sort of understanding of you know how those people think about the world and so forth that, yeah. that I'm, I'm kind of interested in so sorry that's a that's a vague answer to your question how specific as it could be but that's fine so um scott We've talked quite a bit already about where you want to take the business. So I won't re-ask that question, but I will ask, as the business shifts and grows, what's going to be the stretch for you, right? So how do you, what are you going to need to do differently, reinvent yourself and your success formula in some way to be the leader that this business will need as it, as it scales and multiplies over the next few years? Yes, we've actually been putting quite a lot of our thought into that internally, and not just around me, but around the the company and the management team of sort of how does that evolve? And um, you know, we we have in the last well fifteen months or so doubled the size of the business um, from a hundred people to over two hundred people. That trajectory is going to continue. So the way the way I've been thinking about this is a lot of what we need to do is transitioning from an organization where pretty much everybody knows everybody else, you know, you can rely quite a lot on informal communication in terms of how things work. And you also have lots of people wearing multiple hats, you know, so as CEO, you know, historically I've been as involved in the technical day-to-day, you know, operation of the business and some of our technology development plans as I am in you know, going out and securing funding and, you know, developing strategy for, for how we take the business forward. And so I think as we evolve, you know, what, what we need is, you know, just from a fundamental perspective, we need better processes and procedures in place. So we need to bring in people into the company who understand how to do that effectively. It's not necessarily something that, that is kind of in our DNA or in our experience. So most recently, uh, I mentioned my CFO earlier. So we um, we brought in a new group CFO, um, Rian Erding, who came from McLaren Automotive. Um, he's been in the automotive industry for um, a couple of decades, I think. So you know, he's got a really good understanding of you know to to build a large scale you know multi billion revenue manufacturing business. What are the kinds of things we need in place in process and systems? So there's a there's an evolution of the the overall team and the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and expertise we need to make that work in terms of how that impacts my own role. It's very much around how do I, how do I make sure the management team has evolved so that I'm not critical path in anything to do with the day-to-day operations of the business. And I can therefore actually spend my time on the things where I can create the most value in what I can do. And that's typically around, um, you know, things that are more strategic and long-term in nature. They may not have an immediate payback in the next six months. They're not actually about delivering to you know, our first customers, but they're about, you know, how do we achieve that, that vision I laid out earlier? You know, what are the, what are the things we need to do to 
make this business viable to deploy you know, hundreds of fabs globally? Um, how do we work with uh, governments around the world that are really interested in these topics at the moment? How do we work with our biggest customers to make sure that the way they adopt our technology is, is getting full leverage of it? And uh, you know, a lot of the topics we discussed before, how do we make sure that as we do that, we are you know, increasingly developing our focus around the, the themes that we really want to drive the business around, not just the, you know, the details of the you know, technology and specific products. Yeah, I think that's um, makes a lot of sense. Um, you've got the business, the business having to structure itself and uh, being a bit more disciplined into that, probably right as, as you, yep, the, you can scale. And then, for, yeah, for yourself, it's very easy to get all the time. Right, leaders find themselves doing things which are okay; they can do them, but it's not necessarily their genius zone where they can really yep. create those outsized outsized gains. Right, it's, mm-hmm. it's and, and I think I'd even put it more strongly than that, that not only is it, um, so I'd say, you know, a year ago, there was stuff that I was doing operationally that probably was not the best use of my time, but we didn't have enough, you know, bandwidth in the team for me not to be doing that. I think if I look forward to where we're going, you know, to me, success is always taking things beyond your own competence level. So we are growing the business past where I have experience in what I've done with previous companies you know, if we're going to make this in the next few years, a multi-billion revenue profitable business listed on a stock exchange at some point in the relatively near future, you know, none of those are things that I've done. Mm. So, you know, we need, we need people who have experienced in that. Otherwise we're always going to be figuring that out as we go along. And, you know, the business is too important to to take that risk. So it's, you know, it's not just that, you know, I, I should be using my time elsewhere, but actually we need to bring in people who are going to be better at that job than I could ever possibly be. Yeah. Um, great great distinction. I need to focus on the things where I can, I can really create the most value. Yeah. Great distinction. Well, Scott, this has been a great conversation. I've, you know, I've enjoyed really um, getting into the, the depths of deep tech and, but then looking at what it, what it creates and what it makes possible. And what the impact is obviously there's financial impact um and then there's this this sense of how you want to change the world and I, and I love kind of hearing that with such clarity so thank you for sharing that with us if people want to get in touch uh, or find out more about pragmatic where do they do that um so you know starting points would be our website it's pragmaticsemi.com um linkedin we're increasingly becoming active on um you know i'm i'm not so active just from a time perspective but i'm i'm trying to be more so um, so those are probably be the two best best starting points. Perfect. Well, thanks for that. Um, I'll put those into the show notes. And um, Scott, look forward to uh, following you on this journey. It sounds like it's going to be an exciting one. Well, thank you very much. Enjoyed the conversation. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level. If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.